Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Sports Across the Board. I'm Gary McKillops, and today we have a very special guest. He's Gary Stoken, the CEO and president of the Peach Bowl Incorporated. The Peach Bowl, of course, is one of the premier postseason bowls. It's one of the big six, as they call it, and has already hosted a national championship. As far as the Chick-fil-A kickoff games go, it'll be Georgia against Oregon, and then Georgia Tech taking on Clemson. And we'll be talking about those games and some of the other big issues in college sports. So let's welcome the president and CEO of the Peach Bowl, Gary Stoken. Gary, always good to be with you. So a lot going on in the world of college football, some of which I'm sure will affect what you all are doing. But uh, let's let's start off a little bit and talk about the background of, of your uh, organization. When did you get involved? Well, I was uh, back in 1985. I uh, helped a friend of mine, Robert Dale Morgan, get the job as assistant executive director to the Peach Bowl and, uh, and the Sports Council. And uh, so I started as a volunteer in 85. Uh, in 1998, uh, Robert Dale uh, went to run the Super Bowl that we were going to have in Atlanta in 2000. Uh, Headhunter had uh, called me, and uh, I interviewed for the job and uh, uh, had an opportunity to come back to Atlanta. I was working for Adidas as a global business unit manager for basketball, traveling all over the world. My daughters were just going into middle school, so it was a good time for me to get back off the road and uh, got the job in 1998, and uh, here we are. This will be my 25th bowl game. Hard to believe. When did the uh, kickoff classic start? You know, it's interesting. It started out of adversity. In 2006, um, the BCS requested bids to have a national championship game. We made a very, very strong bid, um, but they decided to go to a double host model where the Rose, the Sugar, Fiesta, and Orange hosted their bowl game, and then two weeks later, the national championship. In 2007, the NCAA legislated a 12th game to the conference or to uh, college football. And so I looked at it and said, well, if we can't get in the BCS on the backside of the season, let's start the BCS game on the front side of the season. And so I started what I call the Daytona 500 of college football, and previous to that, most schools would play easy opponents, directional-type schools to get an easy win and to move into their first three or four weeks before they played a conference game. We basically changed the face of college football on the front side of the season because now you see Ohio State playing Notre Dame at Ohio State. You see Alabama-Texas playing home-and-home. Uh, so uh, we changed the whole face of college football, much to the, uh, uh, the happiness of the CFP selection committee because we've created a big differentiation point as they get to make their decisions um, using non-conference schedule as a big component in their final selection of the final four teams. So um, out of losing the opportunity to host the national championship, we won the opportunity to create the kickoff games. And this year you got, uh, I guess you really hit the jackpot with uh, a couple of them, particularly that first game with Georgia and Oregon. Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, you know, Kirby Smart, when he was at Alabama, had come over so many times to play in our kickoff game, Chick-fil-A kickoff game. And so when he got the head coaching job, I met with him, and he said, Gary, we'll play in as many Chick-fil-A kickoff games as you'll have us. 
So in 16, his first game he played against North Carolina was Chick-fil-A kickoff game. In 20, we had him against Virginia, which got wiped out because of COVID. 22, he's playing against Oregon. And then 24, we have them coming back to play Clemson. And then on the Oregon side, I'd met with Mario Cristobal at the Pac-12 media days. And uh, he was on the Alabama staff with Kirby under Nick and had come to our Chick-fil-A kickoff games as a coach, obviously. He saw the benefit of it. And he said, I'd love to play, you know, Kirby in a kickoff game, Chick-fil-A kickoff game. So we arranged for them to play in 22. He got the job at Miami. And ironically enough, you can't write these stories. Dan Lanning, who's the defensive coordinator for Georgia in their championship game, goes to Oregon, gets the head coaching job. So his first game will be against his friend Kirby Smart and Georgia. And then Bo Nix, who quarterbacked Auburn against Georgia, winds up transferring to all places Oregon, and he'll come back and probably be the quarterback against Georgia in the first game. Small world. Unbelievable. Better <laughs> lucky than good sometimes. Exactly. So the second game <clears throat> features Georgia Tech. Yeah, so we work with the ACC, and we told them because they have the Monday night exclusive unopposed TV slot in primetime with ESPN in their contract, we said, when it makes sense, we'd love to do a second game uh, and help you out with because they have to produce an ACC uh, game there. And so, um, and then meeting with uh, Todd Stansberry, uh, who said, hey, Gary, we'd love to play in Chick-fil-A kickoff games, and we'd love to play in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Uh, we were able to work a deal where they, all their uh, season ticket holders at Bobby Dodd can sit in the same seats in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. They can get access to more suites because Mercedes-Benz has more than Bobby Dodd does. And so uh, we were able to put Georgia Tech in there, and then the ACC said, hey, why don't we start the season with the ACC game and a Chick-fil-A kickoff? So they got Clemson to play Georgia Tech. So it worked out. ACC wins, Georgia Tech wins, and, and we win. Is that how you do it? You go around the country and you talk to these different uh, coaches, athletic directors, whatever, and just try to work that out? It's exactly right. It takes a lot of time on the road to meet with ADs and coaches and take every opportunity. And, and I, what I do is I look at the schedules to see when openings exist in schedules of these teams. I, I meet with ADs. Who would you play? Who would you not play? How many tickets would you need? You know, what kind of payout? Because you have to meet or exceed what they netted a home game for them to give up a home game. Um, and so you talk to coaches who say, no, nah, I don't want to play that team, or yeah, I'd play that team. So it takes a lot of conference calls, a lot of meetings, uh, a lot of face-to-face and building relationships and, you know, we've been very successful with it. I guess so. Um, the, of course, you're also involved with the Peach Bowl, the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, which has been around here for a long, long time. Um, and I guess that kind of relates to my next question regarding what's going to happen. I mean, are we going to have two super divisions someday, or how are you looking at the future? Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I don't think anybody could sit here and tell you what the future of college football is like or college sports. Um, it's a little frustrating to know that I think we've missed some opportunities uh, to help both the student-athletes and to right the ship of what college sports should look like. I think we're appeasing the 2% rather than looking at the 98% that aren't going to play pro. Uh, I think there needs to be a commissioner of, of college football, and they need to break away from the NCAA. Uh, I think the, the board should be comprised of commissioners and ADs, to help that commissioner 
uh, of college football, create a strategy and a vision of where the sport's going to go. Um, get everybody online to to uh, accumulate a better opportunity to, to create more revenue. Um, when I look at pro sports, the NFL should be involved in that process because the NFL really does not do anything to help college football right now. There's an opportunity there with some meetings that should take place, and there should be a reciprocal agreement of some kind. Uh, and I think they should do that with Olympic sports, um, uh, with uh, basketball, men's and women's basketball, and with baseball. Um, if we're going to be in a business, let's run it like a business. If you're going to be in education, then stay in education. But we have to decide what we're going to be. And I think, unfortunately, the presidents um, who want to operate or manage or oversee, you can't do that if you're a leader. you got to know the, the sport. They don't know the sport. they got too much going on on campus. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't want the, the heat that comes with making decisions. You can't, and, and so, therefore, if they don't know the sport, they can't create the vision, and they don't want the heat, you can't lead. Mm-hmm. So you need new leadership. You need a new way of, of looking at the sport. You need new partnerships. Um, so I, I think that's what they've got to do moving forward. College football is the second most favorite sport in this country. The NFL is number one. The NFL makes $10 billion a year in TV contracts. At the best, the college football is going to probably make a billion a year. Mm-hmm. That's too much of a – if you really want to accumulate money and revenue, which seems like that's where people are going, then I would – coordinate a system where everybody is together on the same page rather than voting down a playoff because you may not have had any say in it or or you know there needs to be more of a a collegial uh, agreement Um, and I think the only way you get there is one leader and with a board comprised of other people to help you figure that out Um, I don't think you can get there with five different conference commissioners um, and that's not to denigrate the presidents, and it's not to denigrate the commissioners. They all do a great job for what their constituency wants. In other words, Greg Sankey's doing a great job for the SEC. That's his job. He's paid by the presidents of the SEC. What he's doing may not be in the best interest of all of college football. Not to say it isn't, or it is, but it may not be. Right. Whereas if you had everybody together working on the same page, from the same songbook, I think we'd be much better off. And I think everybody would be, the fans, uh, the sponsors, the TV networks, the, the uh, schools, the student-athletes. Um, anyway, that's, that's my perspective. And the NCAA has not really proven to be the organization to take the lead. Exactly right, Gary. The NCAA is comprised of presidents. They oversee it, and, and they don't have the time, the interest, the, the knowledge to run it. And so... They don't have any enforcement, and so you can't it, – it's just – it's not working. And uh, they're, they're reaching out to Congress for answers. Well, if you're going to run a business, you run the business, right? You can't look to Congress to tell you what to do. And so that's why we've got problems from NIL to, to uh, transfers to Alston case to uh, this conference expansion with – you know, how can you have UCLA and USC presidents sitting in a meeting with other like presidents not saying, hey, we're looking at the Big Ten. 
How can you have that with Texas, Oklahoma? I mean, you know, we all got to get together and say, hey, what's the best structure of college football? Let's all have a voice in it. Let's all get agreement to it, and then let's march on the same music. Can you separate college football from the other sports? Because that's something that's lost. You know, what happens to these minor sports where, you know, these teams have to travel too to very distant locations. Yeah, to me, I mean, I look at the Big Ten, what they just did with UCLA and USC, and you can't tell me that if you're going to be running a business, that's why I say you either run an educational format or a business format. If you run a business format, which is why they're doing this, right, to collect money, how you're going to have a women's lacrosse team travel from UCLA to Rutgers and make any sense, Right. right? At best, what I would do is I would I would get all the Big Ten Olympic sports, which are important to the Olympic movement and, and to kids that are in the 98%, not the 2%. We keep appeasing the 2% and forgetting about the nut, excuse me, the 98% like me, who probably wouldn't have gone to college if I didn't get a basketball scholarship, got the basketball scholarship, got my degree, and hopefully at NC State, right? at NC State and hopefully I've become a a good citizen and giving something back to sports and everything. There's a lot of people out there like me. Let's, let's look at that and, and let's meet with the NFL and the NBA and talk about that 2%, how we need to, to help them. Right. Um, and, and I would take all the big 10 teams in Olympic sports, put them in Chicago, have a major Olympic type festival, uh, bring in sponsors, bring in TV, make some money out of that. And, and put all those schools together in a festival-type atmosphere rather than USC is going to Maryland this week in women's volleyball. And then lacrosse is going from Rutgers to UC. How can you spend that kind of money, number one, and make sense, when those, those sports aren't revenue producers? Number two, how is that good for a student-athlete to travel you know, one day there to Rutgers from UCLA, one day back, and one day for the event probably takes up two and a half, three days of their week. How does that make any sense if we're in the educational process? So I, I just think there needs to be a whole breakdown of a, a commissioner of, of Olympic sports, commissioner of men's and women's basketball, commissioner of baseball, and a commissioner of football. How do you come down on the NIL situation? You know, I, I, I can understand that uh, there, there is revenue to be produced to grant kids, you know, uh, revenue for their talents. I mean, I look at Taylor Swift. You wouldn't ask Taylor Swift to go to Georgia for three years, you know, and then graduate so she can get a record contract. If she has talent, she should be able to go get revenue and, and make her records. Same way, in a, you know, if a kid's a good basketball player and that's going to bring revenue to somebody, through sponsoring them, they should be able to make revenue out of that. But you have to do it within the rules of, of not having it pay for play. So if Gary McKillop is a good lacrosse player and Gary McKillop means something to someone in, in Madison, Wisconsin, by playing lacrosse, he should get revenue for that. But he shouldn't be recruited to come to Wisconsin with a grant of, hey, I'm going to give you, you know, $500,000 to come play lacrosse at, at Wisconsin. That's pay-for-play. That's wrong. And because there is no across-the-states legislation, every state has a different law. 
and you can't you can't have it that way it's got to be one way across the system um but that's the ncaa's fault they didn't do anything 10 years ago and now we're in the problems we're in it i'm not opposed to players making money but they should do it in providing value to the company that they're doing something for rather than get money from the school to come to that school and matriculate to that school on scholarship and that's one that really needs to be shaken out yet because there's so many aspects this uh, merging of organizations to sponsor players so there's one big pool of money that's something that is coming together too. It, I think. the collectives are ludicrous to to put those collectives together to pay players to come to their schools is is ludicrous but it's it's state law in some cases you can do that so some schools are going to take advantage of that um so it's just very frustrating that we don't have some organized across the board uh, uh, way to handle nil number one number two you've got to do something with the transfer portal you cannot have free agency in college sports where if a kid's not starting day one he's going to transfer you know um You've got to have certain restrictions, you know, even in NFL and free agency. You have a certain time where you can become a free agent. It's a limited time. Number two, you have a contract, right? And number three, if you don't make the team, I can cut you, right? Well, the first time a college coach would take somebody that transferred there and couldn't make the team and told him you're off scholarship, he'd be crucified, Right. Absolutely. So at the end of the day, we got to come up with you can transfer between X and Y date. Number one. Number two, you can transfer only so many times. Number three, you know, what is the the whole um, uh, uh, scholarship limitations? Because a coach is sitting there now. OK, I've lost 20 kids in uh, to transfer. Do I get 20 scholarships back to fill that? You know, what's the rules there? So. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. I know a lot of people like Greg Sankey are doing a great job with Julie Comer of Ohio to create a new NCAA transformation. But uh, I would, I personally, I would get John Swafford, Jim Delaney, Bob Bowlesby, uh, Kevin White, ADs that are starting to retire with commissioners are retiring. They've seen everything. Put them in a room with some existing commissioners, ADs, uh, maybe a consultant company like McKinsey or something like that, and say, okay, we got a blank sheet of paper now. Let's talk about college football. What should it look like? What should the rules be, et cetera, et cetera, and let's move forward that way. There are some uh, parents of some really highly rated um, prospects, and they're coming to me and asking, what's going on? You know, <laughs> How are my kids going to be treated when they go to school, and what can they do and what can't they do? And it's just really strange. Oh, it's just frustrating on. that... You know, parents don't know what's going on. I don't think coaches, I mean, coaches are sitting there saying, look, I have to re-recruit the kids that I recruited. They're in my my locker room, but I don't know the next day they may leave me. I don't get a scholarship to fill that back. You know, there, there's so much unknown right now. It's just very frustrating, and and it's due to the NCAA mishandling uh, of, of everything that's caused these problems. So we need a new system. Um, the NCAA doesn't work, and it's unfortunate because there's so many good things that come out of college athletics that you can't, you can't tell those stories because all this other stuff is going on, and there's no organization to it. There's no enforcement to it. So 
um, it, it's very frustrating time in college athletics. Final question: the uh, the Peach Bowl um, this year. I guess everything will be the same. The rotation continues, and uh, you will get the what semifinal this year? Yeah, we have the semifinal in the Chick Fil A Peach Bowl, December thirty first. Uh, we either play number one against number four or number two against three. And then uh, with the CFP not expanding and the contract to exist through 25, next year we'll have two top ten teams. Then in 24 we'll have two top ten teams. Then in 25 we'll host another semifinal game. Great. Well, you've had a great deal of success, and uh, I know it's it's tough getting through this period for everybody, but... Uh, my vote would be for you to be commissioner of the new <laughs> organization. Well, I, I just would love to be a part of, you know, making something better. I'm a problem solver, and I like the strategy of things, and I, and I owe a ton back to college uh, athletics and, and, you know, getting a scholarship. Uh, and there's a lot of good things in that that people forget, you know, that, that people are already getting $100,000 a year. Of, of books and education and everything else that we should hold that up and then build from there to let the student athletes make more in NIL. I think, again, not to say I know everything, but I think the biggest challenge, what I would do, if anybody gets a college scholarship, it should be impinging upon each school and these collectives that are being started, not to give the kid money during when he's in college, guarantee him a job after he graduates that to me is what those alumni collectives should be about so that every kid that comes to that school knows that he's got a job after he graduates because there's only one or two percent of them are going to go pro 98 mm-hmm. percent of them are going to need to pick up a lunch pail and get a job right exactly. so that's what those collectives <laughs> should be doing exactly and very few are going to get the NIL money, too. That's exactly and if right. if they could be helped along in their careers, that would be terrific. Fantastic. Yeah. That would be the way to go. Yep. Gary, thank you so much. Thanks, so Gary. Good to be with sometime. you again. Thanks again to our guest, Gary Stoken. Until next time, Gary McKillops for Sports Across the Board. You've been listening to Sports Across the Board. Join us next time as we take you behind the scenes on everything from the big events and the big issues to discoveries that are changing the world of sports. Sports Across the Board is an exclusive presentation of the McKillops Group. If you like what you've heard, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.